I've been planning to visit here for a long time. I, I still remember um, catching up with Linz in a cafe out near Youth Dimension in Ringwood North, and he's talking about this dream he has of starting a new little church and thinking, this sounds so cool, I'll have to go and visit someday. So here I am. Um, what is it, 20, 24 years Twenty four years later, something like that? Um, but it is good to be here. And I was thinking about what to share with you. And I want to share what's been on my heart and what I've been sharing with our folks, not just on a Sunday, but generally. And that is that I think in many ways this year is harder than last year. Um, we have so many families, I was just looking at my phone before, uh, where kids have been sick all year. It's not, not COVID necessarily, it's the throat bug, it's the chest bug, it's the whatever bug, and then the family plans a holiday, and just as they're all getting ready to go, someone gets a positive test and they're at home for the week. And everyone's tired, and everyone's resilience is low, and and just as we think we're getting past it, there's this big war in Europe, and now they're talking about maybe there'll be a recession, but it won't be a very bad recession. And I think we are just in a time when everyone is just plain discouraged. And so I, I am strongly of the mind that we as God's people need to be encouragers in our world. And I want to share just a little bit about that. I think there's a... Um, can I move that? I just did. Oops. <laughs> can we put the first reading up? This is the reading I want to um, bring to you. This is Jesus, and they're having the Last Supper, and they're all a bit miserable and a bit depressed because Jesus has said he's leaving them, and Judas has just gone to do something, and it's not quite clear what it is. And uh, Jesus has said in this world that it's going to be tough. The world hated me. It's going to hate you. So there's, it's that sort of a conversation. And so with the oil lamps flickering and as they're passing around the, um, uh, the meal, he says this. He begins to actually teach them about the Holy Spirit. This is really the first time Jesus begins to unpack what this Holy Spirit is like. And so in John 13, 14, 15, 16 and 17, even though it's the Last Supper, John doesn't actually mention the Last Supper. He talks about what Jesus says to them. And this is one of the things. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. The advocate. Some years ago, I went to a series of lectures by a bloke called Bruce Wilkinson. Some of you may have, yeah, you know Bruce, uh, the guy who started Walk Through the Bible and um, uh, a whole bunch of other things, an author, written a number of Christian books, um, the Prayer of Jabeth, I think, was one of them. And anyway, he's at this lecture talking about his first experience of being a teacher at a Bible school when he was young. And he was a lecturer at a Bible school up in, in Multnomah in Oregon, Multnomah School of the Bible. And he says it was the end of his first week and he's really nervous about the whole thing. They've given him three classes to teach. And he said what they were, and I can't remember what they were, class A, class B, and class C. That's what I'll call them. And he's in the staff room. And one of the other lecturers says, so how are you going, Bruce? How are you enjoying it? And Bruce says, oh, I think I'm getting there. And the guy asks him, so what are you teaching? 
And Bruce says, well, I'm teaching class A and class B and, and class C. And the other lecturer, the older lecturer, says, you're kidding me. You're teaching class C? And Bruce says, yes, that's right, class A, B and, and C. They gave you class C to teach? You are kidding me. And Bruce says, what's the big deal about class C? He says, well, didn't they tell you? Class C are the gifted students. We put them all into class C, and that's kind of the accelerated learning class. I can't believe they've given a rookie teacher, you know, the gifted students to teach. Well, what's going on in this place? And Bruce says he felt really good about this. He goes back to his office and he's thinking, oh, yeah, I get the, I get the really smart kids to, to work with here. And so he teaches through term one. At the end of term, the principal invites him to come into his office to have a chat about how he's gone for term one. And uh, he asks him how he's going. And Bruce says, look, I'm really enjoying everything here. This is such a great experience. But I particularly want to thank you for the privilege of allowing me to teach class C. And the principal says, what do you mean? He says, well, sir, giving me a rookie teacher, the gifted students to teach, I mean, it's just such an honour and a responsibility. And the, the principal goes, oh, not that practical joke again. He says, what do you mean? He says, we don't put the smart guys in one particular class. We mix them up amongst all the classes. Class C is no different to any other class. And Bruce says he couldn't believe it. He races back to his office. He sits down at his desk and on his desk there's a pile of essays from class A that's about this high and class B. But the class C pile is, they've done more work. And then he looks at his notes and he can see that class C has done significantly better. And he says he pushed back on his chair and it dawned on him at that moment the only difference between the first two classes and the third class was what? his attitude towards them, his expectation, the way he viewed them, uh, the way he thought of them. He thought of these guys as having potential and without actually saying you guys are smarter than those guys, he was drawing out the very best in them. He was encouraging them, not just with his words, but in everything about him, he was building them up. And I think that's what encouragement is about. And it is the thing we need in our world. I would go as far as to say, I think right now, uh, in God's church, the gift of encouragement is the number one gift we need. And the beauty is it's one we can all do. Um, uh, it is what we need. This is, next slide, this is what the Bible says about encouragement. Thessalonians 5.11 says, encourage one another daily and build each other up. In other words, if you want to see each other grow in your faith, you've got to encourage each other. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily while it is still called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. If you want to make sure that your mates are not slipping away in terms of your faith, you've got to encourage them. The old German philosopher, poet Goethe said, and I reckon this is such, I think about my own life, treat a person as, she, as he or she already appears to be and you make them worse. Treat a person as they already were, as if they already were what they potentially could be and you make them what they could be. It's what you speak into their life that affects and shapes how they respond. Next slide, please. In the, in the New Testament, the word, the Greek word that they most commonly used for encouragement is parakello. Para is alongside, and kello is to call, to call alongside. And depending on what Bible you use and where you're reading, it often gets translated, well, either as encourage, but it could be to comfort, 
or to call to one's aid or to console or to exhort someone or to appeal to someone. And so it's hidden behind all of those words, but it's all through the New Testament. Now, in English, of course, the word encourage is literally en with what next to it? Courage, which I think is really funny because we tend to use encourage as kind of a bit of a weak word. I'll be encouraged. But courage is a strong word. It means to give someone courage, to give someone hope or or confidence or courage. It's to urge someone on so that they are able to achieve something or do something that they might otherwise be too timid or too discouraged to do. Can you think of a circumstance in your own life maybe where you thought, oh, this is too hard or I feel too stupid or the thing's too scary to even think about, but someone has come alongside you and they've encouraged you and they've believed in you and they've prayed for you and maybe sometimes they've actually been quite strong with you. I'm not going to let you fail at this. And somehow you've tumbled across the line and you've done the thing that you thought were impossible. That's encouragement. Now, remember I said that the... The Greek word is parakalo. Now, let's go back to our scripture. Let's go to the next slide. Um, This is Jesus, and he's sitting around the table with them, and he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So first thing I want you to see is that word, another. They're all listening in to him. The word another, they had different words that meant another. You could either say, for example... um, there is, a, there is a musical instrument, a piano up on the stage, and there's a guitar, totally different instrument. There's one, and there's another sort altogether. You, you, you can't confuse them, they're totally different to each other. Another. Or you could say, there is a blue chair, and there is another blue chair just like the first blue chair. And there's another one, they're all the same, they're interchangeable. This one is just like the other. And that's the word that Jesus was using. He was saying, fellas, fellas, don't stress out too much. Yes, I'm leaving you, but I'm sending you this Holy Spirit. And he is another one, just like the first one, just like me. Remember when we were out on the lake and you were so scared, you thought you're going to drown and I was there with you and I calmed the, the storm. This is another one just like that. And I find that awesome in the, in, the, in the horrible times in life and the difficult times. Jesus may not be visibly present, but the Holy Spirit is, is with us and in us. And he is just like Jesus and he's with us to calm the storm. Um, I am sending you another one who will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So he says another. And then he, he goes on and says, um, it's another. he gives him a title. He calls him the counselor. And some, some versions will say the advocate or the comforter. But go to the next slide. The actual word is the word paraclete, which looks very similar to the verb. It's like Jesus is saying, if I had to give the Holy Spirit a Marvel superhero title because they're making a movie about him, um, what would I call him? What would his, you know, it is, you know, picture the Holy Spirit with a, can you, do you do that in this church? With a cape. You know, da-da, with a big E, Mr. Encouragement, da-da. That's the, that's the nickname for the Holy Spirit. If I had to summarize it all together, he is the encourager. He's like the sports coach standing on the sidelines and you're running the, running the last hundred meters of a marathon and your knees are all wobbly and you're about to fall over. The coach is on the sidelines. Come on, you can do this and gets you across the line. I, I love watching the, um, 
the news clips occasionally you'll get from some some basketball match where you've got 10 foot three players and there's 10 seconds left on the clock and they're only there's four points down and the these giant players are all standing there and the coach is about this high standing in the middle with his clipboard going like this you go red face we can still do this this is how we're going to do it and the, you can see them nodding and yes we can do this and they go back on onto the onto the onto the uh, onto the ground and they win the match this is the encourager now here's my thing for us if i'm a follower of jesus and if you're a follower of jesus and i have invited the spirit of jesus the holy spirit the paraclete the comforter the one who is mr encouragement mrs encouragement into my life and that's their chief quality and if i'm letting them work in my life what am i going to become like I'm going to become more of, I'll make it easy, more of a encourager. Yeah. Um, I'm going to become like him. If, if we say we are a spirit-filled church and the spirit of God is free to move in this place, then whatever else we might be, we're going to be encouraging. You know, Christians have argued for years about which are their favorite gifts of the Spirit and which are the marks that the Spirit of God is. You know, is it the gift of tongues or healing or miracles or preaching or worship leading or miracles or whatever? And all of those are great gifts. But underneath all of that, you know, whatever you think about all of those things, if the encourager is present and released in this place, and if the encourager is released and present, in our lives, and we are saying, Spirit of Jesus, work through me, use my eyes and my ears and my mouth and my hands and my feet as you want, the end result has got to be we are encouragers of one another. And we've all seen this. I mean, I'm sure you have as well. You can visit some big glitzy church and you've got, you got 50 screens up the front and all the rest of it, and it's huge and it's professional, but it's cold. And then you go and you visit grandma's little country church and there's kind of water, you know, rain leaking down through the roof onto the old pedal organ they've got at the back. But you've got a bunch of people who are so warm-hearted. You just know the spirit of Jesus is there. What does it mean for us to be encouragers in this COVID world we find ourselves in, of our friends and of the people next door in all the other places, giving hope, giving confidence, giving acceptance, listening, loving like Jesus would because his spirit is in us. Have a look at this next next slide. This is written a few years later and the church is is going through some really tough persecution. And there are people kind of falling away because it's just too hard or it doesn't make sense. And the writer to the Hebrews says, See to it, brothers and sisters, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Can you see where it says hardened by sin's deceitfulness? That word hardened is the word sclerosis. (coughs) My uncle Isaac, who's now passed away, I remember visiting him in America, he and his family. My dad came to Australia from Egypt. Uncle Isaac went to America and he was a cardiologist. That didn't mean he had a card shop. Um, And he took me to the hospital in which he worked. I still remember this to his rooms. And he showed me videos of what they do when people come in with sclerosis, hardened arteries. They run the dye. So maybe some of you have had this procedure. The dye through them and they put it up there. And you can see 
where the artery is narrowed and hardened. And now that may not matter so much if it's kind of down there, but if it's a an artery of the heart, say, well, what's the big deal? Well, if the artery hardens and the blood can't get through to the heart muscle, the heart muscle will die. And eventually, if your heart dies, we kind of go the same way. Therefore, this is serious. And so they, the dye shows them where it is. They put this catheter in that goes all the way through, and there's a stent, and the thing pumps, pushes it open. And you can see on the video that the dye is get, getting through, whereas it didn't go through before. You see, physical arteriosclerosis is really bad for your physical health. Your blood vessels clog up, they harden up, the blood doesn't get through to the heart muscle and the heart muscle dies. And it's almost like the writer to the Hebrews is saying, in the same way, spiritual arteriosclerosis is fatal for spiritual health. And it happens, you can become spiritually hardened and disheartened if you are continually discouraged. It happens, doesn't it? You know, you get a bit disappointed. It's not really working out. doesn't seem like the fate's kind of going that good for a while. And if nothing changes, you get a bit downcast. It's not working at all. And if that doesn't get changed, you get discouraged. It feels so hard. And maybe I'm not going to bother hanging out with my Christian friends. And what's the point of reading the Bible? What's the point of praying? God's not going to answer anyway. So the Eeyore, the Eeyore thing, you know, Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh kicks in. Oh, it's not going to happen anyway. Um, and then you get depressed by it. I just feel useless. And, and besides, they don't even notice that I'm not there anymore. So what's the point of it all? And so you cycle down and eventually there's despair and I'm just going to give up on the whole thing. And I've met so many people, and I'm sure you have too, and maybe you've been on that cycle yourself. The quote, I used to be an active Christian. And then a friend let me down or something went really wrong or I did something really stupid and I felt really bad and I stopped hanging out with my Christian friends and I stopped hanging out with God and I thought, well, what's the point? It's too hard to get back into that whole routine. It doesn't work anyway. And so you go from disappointment and then you get downcast and then you get discouraged and then you get depressed and then you despair about it and your faith dies. And you meet people like that. You, you meet very few people who say, I was going full on for Jesus yesterday, but this morning I woke up and suddenly decided that's not my thing anymore. It doesn't happen like that overnight. It's this long, slow process, you know, and then I stopped going. I got out of the routine of hanging out with my friends and I'm feeling so bad. I'm thinking, well, they don't even notice that I'm not there because they don't care, which may not be true, actually, but you can feel that way. And so you disappear. It happens. It can happen to you. It can happen to me. We need to be encouraged. We're not designed for independent living. The Christian faith was never a thing for independent people. I pray the prayer. I get out by myself and I wait for heaven. It's about living in communion. You mentioned community together. And what happens in community, it's not all about Bible studies and all that stuff. It's about an encouragement community. See what it says? Next, next slide. Um, encourage one another daily as long as it is still called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, encourage one another. That's what they call the imperative mood. It's a command. You've got to do this. It's not an option. It's not Sally's job or the leader's job. All of us, you've got to encourage each other. Look out for each other. Look at each other. Let the spirit whisper in your ears around how you can best encourage that person. 
And then it's in what they call the present tense. It means you've got to keep on and on and on and on giving encouragement. Don't stop doing it. It's not a once-off. It's an everyday thing. Just to make sure, in case I missed it, it says daily. You've got to do it daily. What it means is you've got to go to the spiritual pharmacist and get the script for encouragement for each other and make out the medication for each other every day. And then just in case we've really missed it, it says, as long as it is still called today. So this is a repeating script till Jesus comes back that you need encouragement and you need to give encouragement to others. And it's interesting, the flip side of it, I find, the more I'm focused on being an encourager, ironically, the more I'm filled. I don't know if you find that. If I'm going, if I'm focusing on blessing you and encouraging you, Funnily, I don't feel worse because I've given out. I feel better for it because I've done that. We've got to ask the Holy Spirit, how do you want us to encourage? And there are so many ways. It may be words. It may be spending quality time with people. What are, those, what are the five love languages they talk about? There's words of affirmation, um, gift-giving, quality time, service. Yep. There's so many ways we can encourage and build. Um, sometimes words aren't appropriate. Sometimes it's simply um, person next door who's been in lockdown and made you some soup. Oh, my goodness. I technically don't need soup, but someone's... You've had too much soup? <laughs> I technically don't need it, but you actually thought of me. Do you want to talk about it? <laughs> okay. Or the other option may be, I'm not going to make you some soup. <laughs> I don't know what that laugh is about. I'm a bit worried about the soup, the soup thing, right? There's so many ways we can do it. And often in our culture, words is one of the things. Let me give you just one example. There's a story um, um, from a friend of mine who's long passed away. He was a significant mentor for many years, a man called Claude Bowen. Um, was the guy who actually designed a number of the materials that we used to use at Caleb Ministries. Um, he would be, if he's still alive, he'd be in his hundreds by now. But when he was younger, he was a, he's an American man. He lived in the northeast of America and had a management consulting company and he consulted with many of the large corporations in the States. But he was very keen that this be a witness, not just a business. But how do you, how do you be a witness? You can't just get up and share your testimony every time you're running a workshop or something in that setting. And he talks about, on one occasion, he's running this whatever it was for a bunch of guys and uh, for a whole week, of, they're all suited up. This is back in the 50s, and it's most, it is guys, because back in those days, that's often the case. And it's Wednesday morning, and one of the senior leaders comes in through the back door late. They've started their session, and this guy comes in through the door late. He's never usually late, and he's got two suitcases that are chock-a-block packed, and his tie's off to one side, and his hair's all disheveled, and he comes in, and he parks the suitcases, and he sits down. Sorry, keep going. And everyone's whispering about why he's done this. And at the end of the day, he says, can I just have a couple of minutes to apologize? He says, I want to apologize for disrupting the class. You know, I've worked here for many years. We all know each other. We're all mates. But um, yesterday, I went home late, and some of you will know that our marriage, my marriage is not all that brilliant. We're very different. She's a free spirit. I'm kind of compulsive, obsessive. And we, I get home last night, 
And I get in through the front door, and I haven't had tea yet, and the house looks like a bomb's hit it. You know, the breakfast dishes are still crusty in the sink, and tea's not been cooked, the bed's not been made, and she's sitting on the couch reading a novel. And I lost my temper. I absolutely lost it. So I got a piece of paper, and I wrote down the 25 things that most irritate me about her, and I gave her the list, which you think about it really isn't the smartest thing to do at the best of times and he said we've had the biggest fight ever and as a result the marriage is over and I'm out so apologies everyone and Claude who's sitting at the back listening to him saying this thought to himself I wonder what would have happened if he had written down the 25 things he most loved and admired about his wife what would have happened and so he had one of those God moments From this point on, every time I run a seminar or some training or some consulting, I will drop in a 30-minute workshop called Project 25. And I'm going to get the, mostly guys it was back in those days, to write down their homework overnight as 25 things they love and respect or love and admire about their significant other, right? And so he says the very next week, he was running a... uh, some sort of training for the for the for the Air Force, American Air Force, and there's all these officers with their braids and their whatevers in the in the room, and halfway through he drops Project 25 in, and this one crusty guy puts his hand up. He says, "Excuse me, is this in the course? I didn't sign up for this." And Claude says, "Well, I'm putting it in the course, and I'm expecting you to do your homework." And the guy says, "Well." I'm a man under authority, and if I'm told to do my homework, I will. But for the record, I want to note, I told her 30 years ago that I loved her when we got married, and that should be enough for her. <laughs> but I'll do it anyway. And Claude's thinking, oh, I hope I haven't blown my contract with the military. And anyway, next morning, Claude gets there early to set up the room, and this guy is outside pacing backwards and forwards, waiting for him, and sees him, and says, I want to talk to you about that assignment you gave. And Claude's thinking, oh, no. He says, come, come in, talk. So he says, I, I went home last night. I need you to know I was really fuming. But I did it. It took me forever to write down the 25 things. And when I'd done my list, I didn't know what to do with it because I wasn't going to hand it to her. So I kind of left it on the bench where she would see it. And I loitered at the back. And she went across and picked it up and read it. And then she began to cry. And I went across to comfort her. And then Claude says his icy face broke into this big smile and he shook Claude's hand and he said, and we've had the best year in 30 years of marriage, the best night in 30 years of marriage we've ever had. (laughs) There's something about feeding back what you see in another person that's positive. I I remember one one, uh, young guy did this, did two lots of 25 for his parents for their whatever it was, 30th anniversary. And they framed them and hung them above their bed. Um, or another guy who, who did this for his son's 21st and absolutely, in a good way, broke his son's heart because he'd never heard Dad say good things about him because blokes don't, don't do that. And there was one, one woman, I remember her sharing, when she heard about this, she said, I'm going to do this for my dad, but my dad is someone no one in the family talks to. He's had addictions. He's been out of home for years. He's been abusive. No one even knows where he lives. He often lives rough. But I'm going to write 25 things, find him and give him the list. And she said it took her a long time because what do you write about someone who's not always a nice person? So you really have to work at thinking what is there that's positive. And then she finally finds him. She hands him the list. He reads it, goes, oh, yeah, thanks for this. And 
they go their separate ways. And about four years later, he dies. And when they, they tell the family where he is, and he hasn't got many possessions, and they go through his wallet, and the only thing in his wallet is that sheet of paper that's almost broken because it's been opened and shut and read and reread so many times. You can never tell, you can never tell the effects of being Jesus' mouth and eyes and hands in terms of offering encouragement to other people. So this week, your homework is simply this, my homework. Who can you build up? Is it a friend or a neighbor? How are you going to do it? Is it, a, is it soup? Is it praying? Is it, is it writing a Project 25 for someone or just a Project 10? Or it's someone's birthday and you're writing them a card or, a, or sending them a text and you're just putting one or two things in there that you really appreciate about them to build them up. Is it listening for an hour to someone who needs to talk? How are you going to encourage and build each other up in Jesus' name? Let me pray. Spirit of Jesus, you are with us. You are are among us and you are in us and you will be with us to to the end of time. And you have called us to yourself. And I want to pray this week as we go into this coming week, would you would you give us the mind of Jesus to think his thoughts as we look at the people you've put in our path? Would you give us the ears of Jesus to hear what you're whispering to us? to know who that one person is we need to encourage. Would you give us the mouth of Jesus to speak your words and the hands of Jesus to serve like you would serve and the feet of Jesus to go maybe where we don't want to go? Lord Jesus, this week, you've blessed us with your spirit. Would you bless us to be a blessing and turn to others? Because of you, we pray. Amen.